sportsmen's are going to be meeting for their annual famcation in Ruidoso, which is why I won't be here. Uh, and so I'm going to be asking for your prayers for travel for that weekend. But we're so excited. Uh, we're going to be meeting in Ruidoso. Our famcation is just picking a spot somewhere in America uh, where we're going to hang out for a couple of days. And, of course, all that's on mom and dad. And uh, we invite our kids to come do that. Just get there and we'll take care of all the rest. And so that's going to happen at our cabin in Ruidoso this year. Uh, and that has been a project for Gail. She's been away for three weeks trying to get that thing ready. And uh, basically it's just been the exterior because we can't even touch the interior yet. It is an extreme makeover Gale edition, I promise you. Uh, and so she's been working uh, big time for that. We've got running water now. We've got a stove and a fridge, real beds to sleep on, and a place to potty. We have told the kids, think camping but inside a building. Uh, we will be roughing it, I promise you, or an RV with a fireplace is what Gail said. I hope it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a challenge. We're going to have two of our grandbabies, or our only two grandbabies together. They're all under six months of age, and so that may be an adventure in itself. Uh, but what we're trying to do is come up with ways that Gail and I can get the kids out of the house so we can have them all to ourselves. So if any of you grandparents have any suggestions, I'm open after services are over. Uh, but that's where enforcement's going to be. I'm also on a mission while we're going to be away to get my son-in-law some trout. I, I, I called and asked him. I said, what do you guys like to do again? They said, well, get us back to that private trout, trout pond you got us to last year, and uh, we'll be thrilled to do that. And uh, I don't know how you father-in-laws do that, but uh, I found out very quickly that the, that the happier I keep my son-in-laws, the more I get to see my grandbabies. Does that work at your house? Uh, and so uh, when my grandbabies get to be at our house, that means a happy nana, and a happy nana means a happy pops. So that's what's going on for the sportsmen this next weekend. I'm really on a couple of different missions, um, and that's important to talk about this morning because we're on a specific mission, and if you've got one of these kids, you've got one of these bulletins, I'd like you to get one of your Crayolas and just circle that little definition for what a mission is. It's accepting an important assignment. And we'll talk about that this morning because we've got an assignment that we've been given that is absolutely of utmost importance to God. It's the unexpected mission of building a multiracial church. And the reason why I say unexpected is because last week as I was taking us through the book of Ephesians and, and showing that this is something that is not just a nicety to God but a necessity for him. Some of you looked a little bit puzzled. I've never seen that before. I've never seen the significance of that before in my Bible. But it is huge to God, and we've got to make it our mission because it's his mission. Now, it was an assignment that was given to the early church back when it was launched, not just some time that came up later, maybe an, an idea of the apostles. It was something that God determined he wanted to be a part of how he led ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with the Son. He wanted that done in a multi-ethnic environment. We took some time last week to see that Paul could have very easily established a Jewish Christian church on this side of the tracks and a Gentile Christian church on this side of the tracks. That would have been a lot easier given all the different diversities that were between Jew and Gentile. But God knew from the very beginning we were better together. Amen? Let me try that again. God knew from the beginning, we're better together. Amen? All right. So he sends Peter by angel assignment to a Gentile's home right out of the bat. Now think, black preacher going to a white country club in the 60s. 
when you hear that Peter goes to Cornelius' home, black preacher in a white country club in the 60s. Once he gets to Cornelius' home, a people group that Peter had been raised all of his life to avoid at all costs, he's sent by God himself to preach to them a gospel that was to destroy all walls. Boom. Remember last week, the spirit falls, the Gentiles, just like all the Gentiles, just like they had fallen on, he had fallen upon the Jewish apostles. And just like Jesus had promised, will fall on anyone, regardless of color, race, or economic, or gender. Because God says, I want my family to be multi-ethnic. And it started off just that way with Peter and a visit to Cornelius' home. However, back in Jerusalem... All heaven wasn't breaking loose. All Gehenna started to break loose when some of the muckety-mucks there in Jerusalem among the new believers had heard that the Gentiles were now a part of this movement. The first two church fusses in recorded in Scripture have to do with ethnic-based fusses, racial fusses. The Grecian widows felt like they were getting slighted over the Jewish widows when it came to getting their food stamps, and some deacons were assigned immediately to get that handled. The next church fush comes just months after the Gentiles start pouring into this primarily Jewish-based Christian church, and we don't have time to go over all those particulars, but just go back and read Acts chapter 15, and you will sense the tension there as thick and as divisive as some of the tension we've experienced in our country the last couple of weeks. The Spirit makes it clear then, and He makes it clear again now. Separate but equal will never be tolerated because he knows we're better together. And so we looked last week at what it'll take to bring us together, or I'm not last week, we looked at week one, at what it will take to bring us together to be a more multi-racial church here right in Kerrville, Texas. We started with four values that people who wear the name of Jesus have to carry in our hearts at all times. So let me review them quickly. Number one, God put his image in all of us. Number two, God's love is for all of us. John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him, I love that word, will not only receive the gift of forgiveness, but also not perish. Number three, God's expectation is the same for all of us. Just as we've been loved, he expects us to love each other. As a matter of fact, he says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. Three verses in Revelation point us to the truth of that. In heaven, diversity is going to be celebrated, not eradicated. Now, all those four truths have to be central in our hearts if this mission of Jesus is truly something that we're going to be interested in fulfilling. Now, I'm moving through this quickly because I realize today's message has a lot in it and will probably push us on our time limits and so I'm going to take a breath and just slow down for a second because this really does matter. The second week, we walked alongside Paul as he reminded us that the cross truly does make this type of unity we're talking about possible. That the selfless, sacrificial love poured out on the cross absolutely obliterated the walls between us so that God could move in, mystery number one, and so that through us the gospel could move out. Because of the unity in us, the world could then 
stop and say, wow, God must be truly at work here because look at what they're pulling off. The night before Jesus is betrayed and heads to the cross the next day, we catch him in prayer in John chapter 17. And here's what he's asking because he knows what I just said is going to be hard to pull off. Father, help them become one in heart and mind just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you so that they might be one in heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. I don't know how you hear that, but to me it says unity preaches the relevance of the gospel that sometimes words can't alone. How so? Because it's the world looking in and saying, Jesus must be in this because he's helping them do something that none of us is being able to pull off on our own. If we don't, as a church, why should they learn? Well, this has been a church who has made unity a priority more than just a nicety. This is where I've been thrilled to get to, finally, in this series. Unity with other faith families of our town and unity with other ethnic groups in our town has been something that we've made priority one. And for a moment, if you will, I want to just celebrate that together. This family believes so much in the mission of a multiracial church that we've invested cash and caring people into the community of Bazua, Ghana. It's a small village in West Africa. Why? To give a group of kids there that happen to have dark skin a chance at an education in God and an education of God's world that's going to help them prosper. Not only in this world, but in a forever world that Jesus is bringing soon. We also are attempting to do the same in Haiti through the Live Beyond ministry, in Dubai through the Petrella Children's Home ministry, in Sao Louise with the church plant there. And this mission in every one of those places around the globe is to reach out to God's creation who are far from him and bring, him, bring them into the family of God to be close to him. Now, let me underscore this. The majority of those efforts don't involve white people at all. And we love that. Because you see, a multiracial church is not optional for this church here. As a matter of fact, it's as central to our lives as those flags you see out there being central to our atrium. Because this is priority one for us. And my, what a box of colors that's creating. So diverse, so unique, and so loved by God. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Even here locally, with our mission outreach of Arms of Hope, we are being given the opportunity to bless and be blessed by ethnic groups and cultures in this very German-influenced community. I can't wait for Medina to start joining us again. And we're, gonna, we're, we're waiting for the time for COVID to pass and some of us feel more comfortable to be able to help us with our, our summit program and our kids program to get them back involved and also through our, ch our uh, children's church program. So please be praying for this, not just for the sense of our safety, but we miss our Medina family. Amen? We want them to know that. Lastly, this multi-ethnic mission Jesus has given us, I want to celebrate because we've not just ministered to people of other ethnic groups, but we've welcomed other ethnicities into our leadership. Raymond Schultz and Elsita Bratcher are people of color that we have brought on staff, not because of their skin to fill some racial quota, they were asked to be on staff because they've got tremendous gifts and abilities. Amen? They just happen to be people of color. Now, if there's a bonus to the color of their skin, it's that with that skin comes experiences that are going to help us relate to others in our community in a wider 
broader, more meaningful way. We really are better together. Amen? And it isn't just something that we're preaching, it's something we're practicing. And I just wanted to stop for a moment in the midst of all the the craziness going on in our country and underscore that there may be some things wrong in our country. There are some things that are incredibly right in this community. That's not good for us to acknowledge. You know who gets the credit for all this? The Holy Spirit. Because God sent him to live in us so that the walls between us can fall down and we can actually be a living presentation of an incredible multiracial, multi-ethnic, wonderfully designed body of Christ in the world. And it's happening. Now, we haven't arrived fully, have we? I know I haven't. As we wrap up the series on race, that's where I want to spend the last minutes of our time. I don't want to talk about Minneapolis. I don't want to talk about Texas. I want to talk about how our hearts in our homes are being cultivated to bring about God's mission in this world, a multiracial church. I asked you last week to please pray. God, what do you want to say to me right now in these times? Too much tragedy in regards to race has gone on for us not to change trajectory in some form or fashion. I need to change my trajectory, God. Show me what is it in me I need to change to eliminate some of the prejudice or racism that still exists in me. And I just want to share with you three things that he's sharing In my life, maybe they apply to yours. The first one's this. In the last couple of weeks, God's been helping me understand the power of privilege in my life. Privilege I've enjoyed because of the color of my skin. Hadn't been aware of that. There continues to be something church systemic that's present in our culture that creates privilege based on the color of your skin, and more white people are seeing the truth of that than I have ever noticed in my entire life. To be privileged, Rick Ashley said, is to benefit from assets you didn't earn. It's like an invisible set of keys that you don't even know that you have that opens doors for use that you may not be, that may not be open to all others. Let me say that again so that you can be sure to hear this. When I'm talking about privilege, I'm talking about benefiting from assets you didn't earn. It's like an invisible set of keys you don't even know that opens a door for you that may not be available to all other people. And I know as soon as I say something like that, I can hear some people saying, Jimmy, you don't have any idea how hard I've worked for what I have. Everything that I have, I've attained. Everything I have, I've earned. Nobody gave me anything. And I'd be the first to say I believe you. White privilege does not mean your life has not been hard. It just means that it's not been hard because of your race. I come from poor people. I've told some of you that. Some of us have probably likened us to or say actually about us that we were poor white trash. We qualified for every food program under the sun, food stamps, free school, lunch. My dad worked hard, was on the road five days a week trying to make a living. But that didn't make much for a family of eight. But still, at times in my life, listen to me clearly, my being poor and white offered me more opportunities than some people who were wealthy and black. 
Things were granted to me that I was never aware of, which made my life more hassle-free just because of the color of my skin. Here's what I mean by that. I've never been followed in a store. I've never been pulled over without a reason by a policeman. Now, your preacher's been pulled over plenty of times for reasons that I've told you about that I had reason for them to pull me over for. But never once have they ever looked in my car and said, are you driving your car? Or ever looked past me to my wife and said, are you okay, man? I talked to four of my brothers of color in our KCC family over the last couple of weeks. All four of them have said they have been racially profiled and treated suspiciously because of their color. At the Gateway Church in Rudoso, Raymond was visiting our, our church there for a youth rally that we had called Bibles and Bindings. John Duncan, who's a preaching minister now, was a youth minister then. Raymond was staying at his house, and it was a little after 9 o'clock one night, and John said, I need to go get some stuff at the store. Why don't you come go with me? I swung by the church for John to pick up something from his office. John went inside. Raymond stayed outside. When John came back, a police car pulled into the parking lot, or was pulling out of the parking lot then, and was turning his lights off. John said, what's up? Raymond said, well, I was leaning on the front of your car when police car pulled up and asked what I was doing in the church parking lot at this time of night. I told him that I was waiting on one of the ministers inside to pick up something from the office. He asked for some ID and I gave it to him. More on that in a minute. John said Raymond was obviously upset. He asked him when he got inside the car, are you okay? Raymond said, no, I'm not. John, have you ever had a policeman check you out at the church for standing next to your car? Now, Raymond didn't tell me that story. Yesterday, John Duncan did. Raymond did tell me the story of the same thing happening to him in his own church back in Fort Worth before he moved here at Alto Mesa. He was coming out of the church with his laptop, and a policeman saw him from the street, pulled into the parking lot, and asked him for identification and said, what are you doing with the computer from the church? Raymond then showed me a signed card that he carries in his wallet now, has for the last 20 years, and it identifies him as an ordained minister employed by the Church of Christ. And he said, it saved me from untold grief. And I know what some of you are thinking because you've got much more here than you I've never had to think about my skin color in any situation. Now, I have had to think about that when I wasn't in my own country, and I was in My trip to Ghana, Africa, was one of the most impactful trips of my life. And one of the most impacting moments came when the machine gun exploded my Because of a crime that I was suspected of, for one reason. Jerry Thornton and Jeff Giles and I were traveling to a city to talk with some Christian brothers about the future of a mango farm that was in production there to help offset expenses of the Missoula Christian family. We were excited about making the trip, and at the same time we were incredibly nervous. Excited because of seeing new faces in new places, but nervous because we would have to drive through the check stations both coming and going. So the check stations, Jerry warned us, were armed with guards 
that he said most likely we're going to stop at least once in He said people with white skin are rarely seen on the roads and we would be traveling some roads that were a little bit sketchy and just assume that we would be stopped. And he said that when we are, and he gave us the following instructions. Be as polite, as respectful as you can be and say as little as possible. We made it through the first checkpoint with no problem. The second one, not so much. We were stopped and asked to get down out of the small bus that we were in and to follow the soldiers. And we did. We followed them into a small building about the size of probably a storage shed you'd store your equipment in for mowing your grass and stuff. When we were led inside, we were told to sit down while they contacted their superiors. And I was thinking, wow, this could become a nightmare in a hurry. But it didn't. After waiting 15 minutes, Jerry had had enough. He asked to speak to the captain and said, charge us with a crime or we are walking. We have not done anything wrong and you're not getting any money from us. He said, we're with the school in Bazua and we're headed to Kamatsi and when we come back here in eight hours, we don't expect to be hassled again. Do you hear me? I just knew Jerry was going to get us killed right there on the spot. But we didn't. I'm telling you, we started to walk out the door and the man said, you stop now. Jerry said, no, you call this number now. And he pulled the card out of his wallet and handed it to him. And it was some muckety-muck that was the secretary of education who knew about the Missoula school. And he said, you let them know that you stopped us today, and I think you'll probably regret it. We walked out behind Jerry. And reluctantly, the guards lifted the gate and we were allowed to Absolutely true story. Now, was I nervous? Absolutely. But I was also furious. What had happened to me was completely unjust and completely corrupt because I had been racially profiled. And it made me think, if I lived here, would I have to consider how my whiteness affected my experience of living there every day? And what other places are there that my being white would contribute to my being treated unfairly? And the thought came to me, wow, that would be so exhausting. And the Spirit said to me this week, yep, because that's exactly what I'm trying to teach you about what's going on here. Because it is exhausting for Church, I'm privileged to not have experienced that more often than I have in my life. But please understand, I'm not ashamed of my privilege. I'm not. Because God gave that to me. I'm becoming more aware of it, though, of how I can use that for the benefit of others, and I hope you do, too. I'm not trying to guilt you for anything that you have in regards to skin color and the privilege that came to you because of that, but I am asking you to use it, to leverage it for the good of other people. Now, if sharing that doesn't convict you on some level, I'm hoping, because of the significance of this conviction, that it does happen as you watch this video. That's why. Hey, line up! Line up! Everybody line up! We're about to race! Everybody line up! Shoulder to shoulder! Take off your backpacks! Basketball! Line up! We're about to race! Hey, we are, we are racing... For a $100 bill. The winner of this race will take this.
a hundred dollar bill. Before I say go, I'm going to make a couple statements. If those statements apply to you, I want you to take two steps forward. If those statements don't apply to you, I want you to stay right where you're at. Take two steps forward if both of your parents are still married. Take two steps forward if you grew up with a father figure in the home. Take two steps forward if you had access to a private education. Take two steps forward if you had access to a free tutor growing up. Take two steps forward if you've never had to worry about your cell phone being shut off. Take two steps forward if you've never had to help mom or dad with the bills. Take two steps forward if it wasn't because of your athletic ability, you don't have to pay for college. Take two steps forward if you never wondered where your next meal was going to come from. I want you guys up here in the front just to turn around and look. Every statement I've made has nothing to do with anything any of you have done. Has nothing to do with decisions you've made. Everything I've said has nothing to do with what you've done. We all know these people up here have a better opportunity to win this hundred dollars. Does that mean these people back here can't race? No. We would be foolish to not realize we've been given more opportunity. We don't want to recognize that we've been given a head start. But the reality is we have. Now, there's no excuse. They still got to run their race. You still got to run your race. But whoever wins this hundred dollars, I think it'd be extremely foolish of you not to utilize that and learn more about somebody else's story. Because the reality is, if this was a fair race and everybody was back on that line, I guarantee you some of these black dudes would smoke all of you. And it's only because you have this big of a head start that you're possibly going to win this race called life. That is a picture of life, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing you've done has put you in the lead that you're in right now. When I say go, on your mark, get set, go. If you didn't learn anything from this activity, you're a fool. that illustration, where would you have been in the pack? I would have been towards the back. 
so may have many of you. But I want to say this, the steps forward that I would have been granted to take largely would have been because of the color of my skin. And how I'm seeing that, again, as he pointed out here, is not something to feel guilty about, but to use as capital to help other people. And I had the perfect motivation for all of this. Because we have the perfect demonstration of what this looks like in Jesus Christ. No one had more capital to enjoy. Nobody had more privilege than he did. But he used it for the benefit of us. Every single one of us. Paul says this, Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. No, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. And it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless life, an obedient life, and then died a selfless, obedient death, the worst kind of death, a crucifixion. Church, Jesus understood the privilege of his blessing so that he could bless others. And I'm just simply asking us, would you? Number two, God's putting in my heart an understanding of the power, not just of privilege, but the understanding of the power of listening. Last Sunday night, I got a call from Philip and Jeannie Paramore, great young couple that lived here for probably a couple of years and then moved on to the Dallas area, had a little girl. They wanted to host from their home a Zoom group for people of all ages and colors who just wanted to pray that God would heal our land from the recent racial tensions and the division that was existing. <laughs> it was the end of Sundays are just tough for me, and so I really wasn't looking forward to being there, but I said, Yes, I'll be there. And I would have hated to have missed it. The prayers were amazing. I spent the whole time. on the edge of tears. And after we prayed, I asked a question because there were so many people that I was looking at on the screen there who were people of color. I said, I'm going to be talking to our church next week about practical ways that we can, we can try to bridge this gap once and for all so that Averson and Tegan and Xander and Miracle are in a better place five to ten years from now than we are today. Further down the road. We've come a long ways, but we've got far further to go. Amen? And I want them to experience a world because we didn't run past this tragedy that's taken place in our country. But we allowed it to change our trajectory even further about how we love on each other. His prayers were amazing, and so I asked them again, how could we do something practical? And they said... Understand the power of listening. Don't be so defensive. Talk to people of color and ask them how it's impacted their lives. And just listen. I said, I can tell our church that. And then the next thing they said was just understand the power of sacrifice. When white people get involved in our struggle, it matters. It just matters. 
in a way that you can't understand. And this way, God put an illustration in my life. That would be by the name of Raleigh Callaway. At stage 5 kidney failure and his health was getting worse. His family was thinking of ways to call attention to their need for a kidney donor. So the family came up with taking a photograph together. Go ahead and show us the picture, guys. Unknowingly, it was this family photo where his children had held up a poster saying, our daddy needs a kidney that would bring about the results. They shot this all over the websites they could think of. One of the picture was a website called 11 Alive, which supports local police officers for their brave and generous time that they give to try to make a difference. And on that site, a man by the name of Chris Carroll, who lives in Texas and was 100 miles away, didn't have a clue who the Callaways were, saw them and felt he really needed to help said a bond just began to grow between their families that would never have been possible if it wasn't for his name and Carol's sacrifice. Then after weeks of preparation, the transplant finally went through this last Thursday. Callaway's wife, Christy, closed, disclosed that the doctors were absolutely thrilled with how the surgery went and expected the kidney to be fully accepted. Here's what Chris Carroll said about that moment that I just wrote down and said, I just got to remember this. He said, Jesus helped us by sacrificing for us. How can we do anything else for each other? We just can't. We can listen to each other. We can serve each other. Those of us who have the color skin that I have can try for a moment
that you gave us to develop and experience the wonder of a multi-ethnic church. Father, you brought us so far. Please continue to take us the rest of the way. You began a good work in us. Now we're asking you to bring it to the church. For our sakes, for our kids' sakes, for their grandkids' sakes, please help us. We cry out to you to please change our hearts, work in our hearts, fill our hearts, empower our hearts. Just a little bit. We couldn't help it. In Jesus' name.